Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For Around the Horn with UBS Asset Management's fixed income team, we are joined by top portfolio managers and business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable Fixed Income, and Liquidity teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. Joining us for the roundtable, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for the roundtable. We're joined as well by Dave Rothweiler and Dave Walzak, Portfolio Managers for Asset Management's Short Duration and Liquidity Strategies. Philippe Telles, Senior Portfolio Manager for Asset Management's U.S. Corporate Fixed Income Strategies. Anders Nelson, Portfolio Manager for U.S. High Yield Corporate Fixed Income. David Michael, Portfolio Manager for Emerging Markets, and Lisa DePaolo, Senior Portfolio Manager for Municipal Fixed Income. So with that, Anthony, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's roundtable. Welcome back. Thank you. Another month, uh, another round the horn. So, uh, Dan, thanks for everything. Uh, welcome uh, to all the listeners, and, and thank you for tuning in for the uh, July edition of Around the Horn. Um, we are officially past the, the halfway point of the year. Um, the all-star break is, is actually upon us. Uh, and I'd say from a market standpoint, it's, it's been an interesting six months. Um, kind of do a little bit of a recap here for the macro. Uh, you know, we, we've worked our way through a, a number of, of, of hikes by the Fed. We've seen, uh, an abbreviated banking crisis, uh, which was, was pretty amazing and as, as it ended so, so quickly as it did, but uh, let's keep our eye on that. Uh, another debt ceiling was, you know, one of the most inverted curves, uh, yield curves on the Treasury side that we've had in, in more than four decades. So I'd say this, you know, however, you know, the, the good news is that from a rate standpoint, um, most fixed-day commitments are, are actually providing investors with a fairly good returns. You know, even though the markets have been uh, whipsawed back and forth, have made some very strong moves, both the upside and, and downside thus far, uh, again, returns are, are doing fairly well. I'd say, you know, what is what is striking to me is that, you know, the, the theme that we experienced uh, all of last year or most of last year and we continue to see this year is that, you know, th- this post-pandemic economy is clearly nothing like we've, we've ever seen before. And, and much as within the markets we like to rely upon, you know, previous cycles and, and history and go back and look at the history books as, as future guides and some or many instances, there's, you know, there, they may not be one that fits all into the cycle at this or at this point in time, right? It's just uh, some of this is clearly breaking new ground. <clears throat> and I'd say to, to some extent, um, the more you listen to even the popular press and read, um, the, it keeps even the Fed for that matter, you know, has, has this, uh, you know, been a, a baffled by the continued strength and resiliency um, of this economy. I'd say thus far, the Fed and other central banks um, have done uh, have done a fairly good job in, in putting out the flames. At least it appears to be. It appears to be working. Um, but it's just taking quite a bit longer than perhaps we and, and, and they would have liked. <clears throat> Going in and looking at some of the, the, the most recent data that's been driving the market last week, which was obviously a holiday, a short week due to the July 4th holiday, um, Thursday. Uh, you know, you come in on Thursday and you had a, a ADP, which was the private payroll numbers that were clearly a bit shocking to the upside, you know, followed by, I would say, stubbornly our earning figures on Friday, you know, coupled with a subdued non-farm payroll number, right? And so you had this divergence between ADP and non-farm payroll numbers clearly left the market scratching ahead, right? Sort of like, which way do we move here? Do we go higher or is it looking like finally 
um, the, the jobs number and jobs and, and are starting to, to slow down a bit here. Uh, but the underlying theme remains that I'd say the field goal post of the Fed cannot be clearly cemented into the ground just yet, right? Volatility, and we've been kind of saying this the last year, volatility in the rates market is and should be expected to continue to move forward here. Well, uh, today, we had um, a very interesting, I'd say, CPI number. I, I know the team will probably get into this a little bit here. Uh, the, the core year-over-year headline number coming in at, at 3%, down from 4%. Most of you say, wow, you know, down a full 1%. Yes, great to see. Um, it was even lower than the expected number, but clearly you know, coming on the over a, a, on the year-over-year uh, -year number, it was kind of expected uh, because the comparison number we're coming off of on a year-over-year -year was, was, was so high. Uh, but clearly, the path towards normalization um, in inflation is not just in the U.S. and globally, um, it, it's, it's, we're moving there to some extent here, right? But we continue to get these back and forth whiplash movements in the market as every single number we get can clearly lead to a differing opinion, uh, within the marketplace. With a positive number, uh, I'd say, you know, for today, at least we're seeing the, the bond market rallying, um, uh, pricing more than, uh, probably one more hike in 2003. And this is going back to my point is if you go back to last week, positive ADP number, yields spiked above 4% on 10 years, spiked above 5, 5 and a quarter on 2 years. The sentiment at that point was, oh, we're going to move to 2 hikes. This week, another sentiment, another number comes out, another sentiment comes. All right, so this is what the volatility we're going to need to continue to, to look into. All I would say is that legging into this market, when we do see these pronounced pullbacks, is probably something that everyone should really consider about legging back into the market here. All right, so let me pause there. Let me turn it over to the PM group. Um, we're going to start off, as we always do, on the very, very short end. Uh, Dave uh, Walzak, just fresh back from vacation. Dave, why don't you uh, lead us uh, on the discussions? Thank you. Yeah, great. Thanks, Anthony. Um, so as Anthony highlighted, um, you know, we've clearly been watching um, how the markets be reacting to the data. Um, you know, the last around the horn, I believe, occurred on the date of the last Fed meeting, but it was right before the meeting. So, um, you know, of course, we saw the dot plot uh, reflect the median uh, expectation of two additional rate hikes this year. And as Anthony was describing, you know, based on the data that we've seen, uh, we've seen the market kind of seesaw between one and two hikes being priced in for the remainder uh, part of the year. Although we have yet to really see kind of two hikes be kind of fully priced in. Um, but still, you know, it looks like July uh, still um, is being priced in uh, by the market. Uh, we're currently seeing uh, a probability uh, of about 91%. There's about 23 uh, basis points priced in uh, for the July meeting. So it seems like, you know, pretty much a done deal from the market standpoint. Uh, we'll just be awaiting for how the data materializes over the next few months in terms of what that may mean uh, for the meetings uh, the rest of the year. Um, but I guess away from the Fed, you know, one other thing we were watching here in the front end, uh, Anthony, you touched on it briefly, obviously, the resolution around the debt ceiling. Um, you know, we've been watching the onslaught of Treasury bill issuance that we've seen as Treasury has looked to rebuild their um, cash uh, balance. Uh, so far, they've issued a little over $500 billion, so uh, relative to our expectations of about a trillion uh, over the three months since the debt ceiling resolution, we're about halfway there. And I think, you know, most would agree that for the most part, uh, the you know, additional issuance has gone pretty well uh, with the market. Uh, we haven't uh, really seen much in the way of dislocations. Um, Treasury has also skewed a lot of the, the issuance shorter uh, on the curve. So I think that's also helped to mitigate some of the, the market impact. So, so far, uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, we'll still be closely watching uh, how the remaining uh, issuance goes, but, you know, happy um, that that's been going off uh, relatively with, without any, any issues. 
Uh, in terms of our strategies on the estimated advantage side, you know, with our treasury strategy, um, we continue to remain neutral from a duration posture uh, with our standard uh, treasury strategy, as Anthony was mentioning. We've seen quite a bit of volatility, uh, especially in the front end as the markets repriced uh, Fed expectations. So I uh, have felt that the neutral uh, duration posture uh, was best throughout this environment. And then in our one-year max strategy, um, you know, some of the changes that we've made in recent weeks, um, you know, we actually have for new cash look to invest uh, some of the shorter exposure uh, in that latter strategy actually in treasury bills relative to treasury notes. Uh, I think, again, some of the additional issuance has pressured uh, some of those yields a little bit wider than treasury notes, so it makes them a little bit more attractive there uh, for that strategy. Uh, with that, I think we'll turn it over to Dave Rothfire to talk about short and, and short duration. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. So that being said, uh, we've also maintained a more neutral duration posture in the ultra-short and short duration strategies as well. Uh, post the CP, yeah, numbers this morning, rates have rallied uh, with the tier now lower by about 12 basis points, and credit risk has been rallying in the front end with credit spreads probably two to four better this uh, this morning. Uh, staying on credit, the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate 1 to 3 index has been rallying since the highs of March, which was about 130 basis points. We're down to about 73 basis points in option-adjusted spread. For both the ultra-short as well as the short-duration strategies, we've maintained a higher rated credit profile, but we stayed engaged with credit and continue to favor financials such as Canadian, Aussie, and money center, U.S. money center banks. Um, you know, with, with short uh, industrial corporate nearing, you know, three-year averages and spread, uh, ABS continues to be another favorite asset, cl- asset class for us and one that offers often higher yields, better spreads, better credit quality, and is also a self-liquidating asset. Think, uh, you know, monthly paydowns and, and shorter average lives. So, again, we continue to only invest in prime, AA and AAA type ABS, and in the end, ultra-short is yielding about 5.5%. Short duration is about 5 and a quarter. So, um, getting back to corporate credit, we'll be watching more earnings releases later this week. Especially on Friday, we have a lot of the money center banks starting to report. And uh, with that, I'll pass it on to Fleet. Uh, thanks, David. Yeah, I think for USIG, the, the bond gods have definitely given investors another opportunity to lock in 5.5% yields uh, this month. And in addition to attractive valuations, we think U.S. investment grade remains attractive for a couple of reasons. One, the supportive, supportive macro environment, and two, the supportive supply and demand dynamics. Firstly, on the macro environment, uh, economic data has been pretty resilient, as mentioned by Anthony, and really surprising on the upside lately. The economy is struggling along with annualized GDP growth of 2%, unemployment at 3.6%, and we're seeing a bounce in, in, in metrics such as house prices and improved sentiment surveys. The Fed is probably going to increase another 25 basis points, but have indicated that's going to pause, and the inflation print today uh, reinforced um, what the Fed has been has been telling investors. Secondly, on the on the positive USIG supply and demand dynamics, um, the yield in the corporate indexes is now about five and a half percent. You have to go back all the way to 2009 to to experience yields this high. So yields are really attractive right now, and this is generating a good amount of demand for U.S. corporate bonds. Um, and we have seen inflows into the asset class in the magnitude. Of, $120 billion year to date, which corresponds to about 3.5% of the total AUM. So credit spread sitting at 120, uh, 1.2%. We think we can grind tighter uh, in summer months with the expectation of a low supply. 
In terms of strategies for USIG SMA accounts, uh, yield on the strategies are ranging between five and a quarter percent to five and a half percent. At the index level, the intermediate corporate total return is, is positive. It's up two percent year to date. And a little bit different from, from David, from the Davids, uh, we are targeting a duration that's slightly ahead of, of the index. We are trying to take advantage of the higher treasury yields. And the focus has really, really continues to be on companies with solid fundamentals and, and strong balance sheets that are backed by our research team. Credit quality remains high in portfolios. Uh, we had 70% of the portfolio invested in single A or better credits and 30% uh, invested in triple B in the latter strategies. And we continue to favor the front end of the credit curve. Treasury curves remain deeply inverted, so the yield is more attractive on the two-year versus the 10-year uh, treasury. We like the banking sector, especially the, the front end of the uh, for, incre- for the incremental yield and spread, but we have positive views on, on the tech sector, media, telecom, and, and energy as well. All sectors, uh, all the sectors with the good representation in the SMA portfolios. In the active intermediate strategy, our high yield exposure remains on, remains on the low end of our range at two and a half percent, and the treasury is at the high end of our range at seven and a half percent. Going forward, with the moderating inflation and outperformance of the front end of the credit curve, we expect to extend into longer maturity bonds to lock in attractive yields uh, for the portfolios. Uh, this is it for USIG. I'm going to hand over to Anders Nelson, who is going to talk about the high-yield strategies. Uh, thanks, Philippe. On the high-yield side, spreads are back to the tight end of the range that we've been stuck in for the last year. Uh, spreads have been moving between, call it, four and 500 basis points over treasuries, and even dipped below 400 earlier this month, which is the same level we were at before the sell-off triggered by the regional banks this spring. We're in somewhat of an awkward spot right now with uh, spreads, uh, spread levels, uh, despite the strong economic numbers that we've been seeing, uh, because they trigger the, the Fed to push for uh, tighter financial conditions, which over the medium to long term will hurt companies that maintain higher levels of debt or have floating rate exposure through loans and other borrowing uh, facilities, both uh, which are common for high-yield issuers. Until recently, the market's been in uh, more optimistic, um, has been more optimistic of a soft landing happening. But in the last couple of weeks, we've moved back into the higher for longer narrative. And we'll have to see if uh, there is a change in direction with uh, this morning's uh, CPI print. Uh, we've seen this pattern play out a few times over the last year, and it will be important to keep an eye, a uh, close eye on economic releases as well as uh, Fed speakers. At these levels, we want to be nimble when adding risk and stay higher up in quality, uh, but we are not too concerned because fundamentals are likely past their peak, but they're still very solid, and we continue to see upgrade momentum, especially in energy, which is the largest sector in high yield. Also, lower-rated issuers have been able to tap the primary bond market, which is an important avenue for lower-quality companies that rely on refinancing to manage their debt loads. Uh, Both factors are supportive of our view that defaults will only rise modestly back to historical averages this year. Um, also, if we take into account that volatility in rates has been higher than credit, uh, we, we'll, we see that uh, spread compression has been partially caused by the fast moving rates. And compared to credit spread levels, which look somewhat tight, all-in yields, on the other hand, look attractive, uh, trading closer to uh, the high end. And uh, technicals are also uh, supportive as uh, the new issue supply hasn't kept up with investor demand. 
Later this week, we'll start getting Q2 earnings. At first, we'll be mostly investment-grade issuers, and then we'll have high-yield companies uh, report later later on, which is uh, typical. Forecasts have been coming down as we get closer uh, to the date, uh, which is, is typical. We also saw that in Q1 when a l- pretty low bar was set for earnings. With current valuations, it's going to be difficult to see a broad-based rally, but we do expect dispersion between names to pick up. Um, Today, the short-duration high-yield portfolios yield 6.8% with a duration of 2.3 years and a double B-minus rating. Our other offering is the crossover strategy. It holds 45% in short-duration high-yield and 55% in investment grade. That yields 6.25%, has a duration of 2.9 years and a triple B-minus rating. I'll now hand it over to David Michael to speak about emerging markets. Thank you, Anders. Uh, emerging market spreads have rallied uh, 27 basis points over the last month. Uh, Emerging market investment grade has been 13 basis points tighter, uh, while high-yield credits continued uh, with a very robust tightening of 50 basis points. Um, This has all been in the backdrop with uh, 10-year yields widening by 23 basis points. You know, ultimately, total returns in emerging markets um, were limited, uh, really with the uh, sell-off in U.S. interest rates, but we continue to manage... uh, uh, positive returns in emerging markets, uh, even through the interest rate volatility. Um, Markets continued to reflect disappointment uh, around the slow and expected recovery in China. Um, After multiple rounds of interest rate cuts uh, failed to boost demand, um, rumors continue to um, grow on further stimulus. We expect there to be some stimulus from uh, the, the government to provide support to the domestic economy. Um, the timing and details uh, are, are not known, but, uh, you know, in China, typically we start to hear rumors. That's how the government um, tests uh, some of their theories before they implement those uh, stimulative policies. Um, Turkey continued to take additional steps to strengthen political ties with Europe and NATO, um, and uh, Egypt announced uh, $1.9 billion dollars worth of government asset sales, which is a positive step towards its privatization program. These are just a few of the positive drivers that helped EM offset the, the sell-off in, in higher interest rates. Um, in this backdrop, we continue to see a very subdued primary market activity, um, leading to yet another month of net negative supply. Um, emerging market credit has now seen uh, net negative supply. That's where you know, natural rollover coupons, maturities, amortization payments are significantly higher than primary markets. And that's, we've seen that in 14 of the last 16 months. Um, you know, as we continue through the summer, we expect primary market activity to remain quite low and a natural rollover of about 25 to 30 billion into the asset class per month just rolling over will continue to increase cash balances. And and this will leave emerging market managers in a a very strong technical position with room for spreads to continue to tighten um, and actually provide uh, fairly robust returns once we reach a ceiling on U.S. interest rates. Um, From there, let me go ahead and hand it off to Lisa to give us an update on municipal bond market. Thanks a lot. So across the broader municipal market this year, we've really navigated through stronger than expected economic data releases and shifting Fed policy expectations. 
Um, muni returns were positive in June. We saw stronger supply and demand technicals, which helped munis to significantly outperform comparable treasuries. Um, in terms of fund flows, in June, we did see inflows return into the municipal bond mutual fund space following 16 weeks of outflows as some investor confidence returned to the market. Despite a pause by the Federal Reserve at the June FOMC meeting, um, interest rates rose in the front end and intermediate part of the yield curve. We really saw the bigger impact in that front end of the muni curve really inside of 10 years. In that area, we've seen low ratios just coupled with high demand due to sizable net negative supply as well as heightened uh, volatility in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, really, maturity is five years and in. As Anthony alluded to, um, with the inversion, we've seen the most richening. Um, during June, we saw muni treasury ratios there falling to 62% from 72% in five years and a 59% from 70% in two years. Um, so we see persistent inversion just in that front end. Um, if you look at like one year MMB AAA scale versus 10 years, about a 45 basis point uh, differential right now. On the trading side, we continue to see elevated bid wanted lists. Um, they have kind of simmered down um, since the uh, 6.9 billion FDIC tax exempt bank portfolio um, that all traded away early this month um, was finally traded. Um, based on the unique structure of the FDIC bonds, including um, really the structure, lower coupons, uh, the overall impact and tax-exempt yields has been rather muted overall. In terms of supplies, um, the summer months have been seasonally positive months. Uh, June was no different. The market was recognizing net negative supply, um, and we were looking at over $40 billion in reinvestment income coming from coupons, maturity, call bonds. Um, last month, tax-exempt growth supply uh, reached $34 billion, so about 16% above 2022 and 6% above the five-year average for the month. Right now, we're seeing the majority of uh, 2023 issuance forecasts remaining unchanged and on track for the remainder of the year, kind of ranging on seeing from $300 to $400 billion. We would expect to see a moderation in issuance activity as we move closer to the next FOMC meeting at the end of this month as well. Usually, issuers don't like to um, issue too close to the meeting. So, really, what we've been doing um, on the trading portfolio management side, throughout this quarter, we've been actively investing in new issue deals um, that really have been generally pricing at more attractive levels, um, more so than a lot of secondary market offerings. But, however, improved investor demand on the majority of these deals, just at these higher yields, has made it challenging, really, to get our hands on larger allocations. I'm seeing most deals um, on average oversubscribe at least four to five times in June with similar results this month. So as a result, we've been focused as well in transacting in the secondary market. Um, in terms of credit, we've been moving up in credit quality, um, overweighting more in high grades, including Texas permanent school fund bonds, a lot of issuance um, in that arena. We just aren't getting paid to add volatile, less liquid names in this market, really including select single-A names. So additionally, credit, they've been actively recession-proofing portfolios where possible as well. So I think we could see upward pressure in municipal pricing uh, throughout the summer. Um, we would expect stronger market technicals and better performance in the new space probably in the second half of this year. As far as positioning goes, for new money coming into our total return strategies, uh, we remain more barbells. Um, clients slowly adding duration to their portfolio. We remain overweighted in the steeper and more attractive areas of the curve, really at 13 to 15 year area and 22 and out. We, um, as part of our barbell strategy, we do add floating rate securities and shorter paper one year and in, fixed rate paper. 
um, you know, it's just part of the overall strategy. We do maintain about over, right now it's roughly over 20% allocation um, for, to cash and cash alternatives. In June, floating rate yields did cheapen to over 4%, but yields have come back in line now to where we would expect, just given the summer supply demand imbalances and lighter dealer inventories. So rates um, have been resetting below 3% in the floating rate space. One-year paper, though, is still yielding over 3%, so we're actively adding shorter paper, again, as a cash alternative. And we continue to sell out of less attractive, more overbought areas of the curve, really in that two- to eight-year area. So looking ahead, uh, historically, July has been a top-performing month. Um, I think just given the higher level of yields available and municipal issues, um, you know, opportunities in select parts of the yield curve, and just overall continued strength in municipal municipal fundamentals, I do think we are well-positioned across all strategies. Um, at some point, we will look to reduce our cash, our exposure to cash and cash alternatives. And as Anthony um, touched upon, kind of legging back into this market, select areas of the curve, just as we move toward the end of this tightening cycle. And I will hand it back over to Anthony. Great. Lisa, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, great recap. And, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned that the floating rate part of the market every time we we see that that trough on on the floating rate VRDNs. Um, I either get a, a slew of, of inbound emails or calls about why are our money funds rate adjusting so low, and and that is a, clearly a direct correlation there. So so thanks for pointing that out. Um, I think my partner Steve online had had a question for for one of the portfolio managers. Steve, do you want to uh, ask that question, please? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for uh, taking the question. Uh, Philippe, I guess this one goes to, to you. I was just curious to know, um, given that we have an, an allocation of two and a half to high yield, um, what it would take to, um, to increase that allocation to high yield, if, if you wouldn't mind addressing that. Thanks. Um, hi, Steve. Um, thanks for the question. I think, you know, double B spreads are quite tight at the moment compared to triple B. So it's not looking very favorable versus our our IG universe, um, and we are really focused on double B names that are quite strong fundamentally, with a high likelihood of being upgraded to 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 investment grade. So it's generally, spreads are in those names are are already pretty fairly valued, and you take a backup in high yield spreads for us to increase the the allocation to high yield. We can go up to 10%. We have been at 10% in the past, back in 2021. Um, we made a move uh, early in 2022 to lower our target, given the the concerns of, around the economy and rising interest rates. So if if fundamentally we, we think the economy is going to hold up well, um, more of a shallow recession camp and, and spreads back up a, li- a little bit, we'll, we'll increase the allocations for high yield in the active accounts. Awesome. Thanks so much, Philippe. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. We appreciate that, Steve. Thank you. Uh, okay, so that's going to, uh, we're about coming up on the on the half hour mark here. <clears throat> we want to stay tight to that. Um, I, I will just say um, one closing mark, or actually two. Uh, one, by all means, please reach out to um, your financial advisor who can then reach out to anyone on, on my team or the team that you have heard of. For some additional discussions, you know, related to the markets, is clearly, like I mentioned, a lot of volatility going on here, and we are here to to act and provide advice and counsel. Second, I'll say this: there, we continue to do get a pickup. You know, and you heard from a lot of these PMs here, fundamentals, technicals, everything remains right now in, in fairly good shape. 
a lot of clients are asking the questions about, okay, is it safe to come out and extend duration out there? Um, I will point to an article that was released by your CIO um, back in May, uh, and it's entitled, um, it's a fixed income strategist piece entitled Preparing for a Pause. Uh, it does a great job at sort of talking through uh, when is the appropriate time to potentially consider and moving out on the curve. We've, we've talked about this a few times, legging into this market. Um, and I think this does a very good piece of at least kind of bring it to attention, plan to see with you, um, our financial advisors and clients about, hey, when do we start to really think about taking some of that short duration and moving out and legging into this? Because some of these yields that we're seeing in the taxable market, as well as the mini market, we would have died for two or, or three years ago. And so we don't want to necessarily let this market go without some allocation to perhaps some longer dated uh, solutions. So with that, Dan, I'll turn it back to you right on the half hour mark. Thank you again for everything. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG and is a member of FINRA and SIPC.